Section 3 of Tiger by the Tail by Paul William Anderson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Paul Harvey. Scatha was not unlike Terra, a little larger, a little farther from its sun. The seas made turbulent by three small close moons. Flandry had a chance to observe it telescopically. The ship didn't have magnus screens and as they swept in he saw the mighty disk roll grandly against the galactic star blaze and studied the continents with more care than he showed the planet was still relatively thinly populated with great forests and plains standing empty archaic cities and villages huddling about the steep walled castles of the nobles most of its industry was on other worlds though the huge military bases were all on Skatha and its moons. There couldn't be more than a billion Skathani all told, estimated Flandry, probably less, and many of them would live elsewhere as overlords of the interstellar domain, which didn't make them less formidable. The witless hordes of mankind were more hindrance than help to the Empire. Surtix's fleet broke up. The captains bound for their estates. He took his own vessel to the capital, Ithagar, and brought it down in the great yards. After the usual pomp and ceremony of homecoming, he sent for Flandry. What is your attitude toward us now? he asked. You are a very likable people, sir, said the terrestrial, and it is as you say, you are a strong and honest race. Then you have decided to help us actively? The voice was cold. I really have little choice, sir, shrugged Flandry. I'll be a prisoner in any case, unless I get to the point of being trusted. The only way to achieve that is to give you my willing assistance. And what of your own nation? A man must stay alive, sir. These are turbulent times. Contempt curled Surtick's lip. Somehow I thought better of you, he said, but you're a human. You could only be expected to betray your oaths for your own gain. Surprise, shook Flandry's voice. Wasn't that what you wanted, sir? Oh, yes, I suppose so. Now come along, but not too close. You make me feel a little sick. They went up to the great gray castle, which lifted its windy spires over the city and presently Flandry found himself granted an audience with the king of Scythania. It was a huge and dim-lit hall, hung with the banners and shields of old wars and chill, despite the fires that blazed along its length. Penda sat at one end, wrapped in furs against the cold, his big body dwarfed by the dragon-carved throne. He had his eldest son's stern manner, and bleak eyes, without the prince's bitter intensity. A strong man, thought Flandry, hard and ruthless and able, but perhaps not too bright. Surtick had mounted to a seat on his father's right. The queen stood on his left, shivering a little in the damp draft, and down either wall reached a row of guardsmen. The fire shimmered on their breastplates and helmets and halberds, they seemed figures of legend, 
But Flandry noticed that each warrior carried a blaster, too. There were others in evidence, several of the younger sons of Penda, grizzled, generals and counselors, nobles come for a visit. A few of the latter were of non-Scothan race, and did not seem to be meeting exceptional politeness. Then there were the hangers-on, bards and dancers and the rest, and slaves scurrying about. Except for its size and its menace, it was a typical barbarian court. Flandry bowed the knee as required, but thereafter stood erect and met the king's eye. His position was anomalous. Officially, Surtick's captured slave. Actually, well, what was he? Or what could he become in time? Penda asked a few of the more obvious questions, then said slowly, You will confer with General Nardioff here, head of our intelligence section, and tell him what you know. You may also make suggestions if you like, but remember that false intentions will soon be discovered and punished. I will be honest, your majesty. Is any terrestrial honest? snapped Surtick. I am, said Flandry cheerfully. As long as I'm paid, I serve faithfully. Since I'm no longer in the Empire's pay, I must perforce look about for a new master. I doubt you can be much use, said Panda. I think I can, your majesty, answered Flandry boldly. Even in little things, for instance, this admirably decorated hall is so cold one must wear furs within it, and still the hands are numb. I could easily show a few technicians how to install a radiant heating unit that would make it like summer in here. Pendle lifted his bushy brows. Surtick fairly snarled. A terrestrial trick, that. Shall we become as soft and luxurious as the Imperials, we who hunt Vorgari on ski? Flandry's eyes flitting around the room, caught dissatisfied expressions on many faces. Inside, he grinned. The prince's austere ideals weren't very popular with these noble savages. If they only had the nerve to... It was the queen who spoke. Her soft voice was timid. Sire, is there any harm in being warm? I... I'm always cold these days. Flandry gave her an appreciative look. He'd already picked up the background of Queen Gunley. She was young, Penda's third wife, and she came from more southerly Scothan lands than Ithagar. Her folk were somewhat more civilized than the dominant Frithians. She was certainly a knockout with that dark rippling hair and those huge violet eyes in her pert face. And that figure, too. There was a suppressed liveliness in her. He wondered if she had ever cursed the fate that gave her noble blood, and thus a political marriage. For just an instant their eyes crossed. Be still, said Surtick. Gunley's hand fell lightly on Penda's. The king flushed. Speak not to your queen thus, Surtick, he said. In truth, this imperial trick is but a better form of fire, which no one calls unmanly. We will let the terrestrial make one. Flandry bowed his most ironical bow. Cocking an eye up at the queen, he caught a twinkle. She knew. Nardioff 
made a great show of blustering honesty. But there was a shrewd brain behind the hard little eyes that glittered in his hairy face. He leaned back and folded his hands behind his head and gave Flandry a quizzical stare. If it is as you say, he began. It is, said the terrestrial. Quite probably. Your statements so far check with what we already know, and we can soon verify much of the rest. If, then, you speak truth, the Imperial organization is fantastically good, he smiled. As it should be, it conquered the stars in the old days. But it's no better than the beings who man it, and everyone knows how venial and cowardly the Imperials are today. Flandry said nothing, but he remembered the gallantry of the Syrian units at Garopoli, and the dogged courage of the Valatian legion, and, well, why go on? The haughty Scaudani just didn't seem able to realize that a state as absolutely decadent as they imagined the empire to be wouldn't have endured long enough to be their own enemy. We'll have to reorganize everything, said Nardioff. I don't care whether what you say is true or not. It makes good sense. Our whole setup is outmoded. It's ridiculous, for instance, to give commands according to nobility and blind courage instead of proven intelligence. And you assume that the best enlisted man will make the best officer, said Flandry. It doesn't necessarily follow. A strong and hardy warrior may expect more of his men than they can give. You can't all be a superman. Another good point, and we should eliminate swordplay as a requirement. Swords are useless today, and we have to train mathematicians to compute trajectories and everything else, Nardioff grimaced. I hate to think what would have happened if we'd invaded three years ago, as many hotheads wanted to do. We would have inflicted great damage, but that's all. You should wait at least another 10 or 20 years and really get prepared. Can't. The great nobles wouldn't stand for it. Who wants to be Duke of a planet when he could be Viceroy of a sector? But we have a year or two yet, Nardioff scowled. I can get my own service whipped into shape, with your help and advice. I have most of the bright lads. But as for some of the other forces, gods, the dunderheads they have in command. I've argued myself hoarse with Nornagast to no use. The fool just isn't able to see that a space fleet the size of ours must have a special coordinating division equipped with semantic calculators, and the worst of it is, he's a cousin to the king. He ranks me. Not much I can do. An accident could happen to Nornagast, murmured Flandry. Eh? Nardiov gasped. What do you mean? Uh, nothing, said Flandry lightly. But just for argument's sake, suppose, well, suppose some good swordsman should pick a quarrel with Nornagast. I don't doubt he has many enemies. If he should unfortunately be killed in the duel, you might be able to get to his majesty immediately after, before anyone else, and persuade him to appoint a more reasonable successor. Of course, You'd have to know in advance that there'd be a duel. 
of all the treacherous underhanded i haven't done anything but speculate said flandry mildly however i might remind you of your own remarks it's hardly fair that a fool should have command and honor and riches instead of better men who simply happen to be of lower degree nor as you yourself said is it good for scythania as a whole i won't hear of any such terrestrial vileness of course not i was just well speculating i can't help it all terrestrials have dirty minds but we did conquer the stars once a man might go far if only no nardiyov shook himself a warrior doesn't bury his hands in muck no but he might use a pitchfork tools don't mind dirt the man who wields them doesn't even have to know the details but let's get back to business flandry relaxed even more lazily here's a nice little bit of information which only high-placed imperials know the empire has a lot of arsenals and munitions dumps which are guarded by nothing but secrecy the emperor doesn't dare trust certain units to guard such sources of power and he can't spare enough reliable legions to watch them all so obscure uninhabited planets are used nardiyoth's eyes were utterly intent now i know of only one but it's a good prospect an uninhabited barren system not many parsecs inside the border the second planet honeycombed with underground works that are crammed with spaceships atomic bombs fuel uh, power enough to wreck a world a small swift fleet could get there take most of the stores and destroy the rest before the nearest garrison could ever arrive in defense is that true you can easily find out if i'm lying it'll cost you that small unit that's all and i assure you i've no desire to be tortured to death holy gods nardiyov quivered i've got to tell surdek now right away you could or you might simply go there yourself without telling anyone if surdek knows he'll be the one to lead the raid if you went you'd get the honor and the power surdek would not like it too late then he could hardly challenge you for so bold and successful a stroke and he is getting too proud of himself he could stand a little taking down nardiyoff chuckled a deep vibration in his shaggy breast hi but veltam's beard i'll do it give me the figures now presently the general looked up from the papers and gave flandry a puzzled stare if this is the case and i believe it is he said slowly it'll be a first-rate catastrophe for the empire why are you with us human maybe i've decided i like your cause a little better shrugged flandry maybe i simply want to make the best of my own situation we terrestrials are adaptable beasts but i have enemies here nardiyoff and i expect to make a few more i'll need a powerful friend you have one promised the barbarian you're much too useful to me to be killed and and damn it human somehow i can't help liking you end of section three Recording by Paul Harvey.